This is Faith Revisited. Welcome to the podcast. On Faith Revisited, we'll talk about our own church as we're constantly trying to adapt to an ever-changing world as a downtown historic church. We'll talk about United Methodist Matters as our denomination faces an exciting and uncertain future. We'll explore church leadership in the 21st century. And we'll talk to different faith leaders about their perspectives of religion today, how we can be more authentic, stop alienating people, and how faith is more important than ever to connect us to God and each other. Hey, maybe we'll touch on a topic that speaks to exactly where you are in your faith. We won't know until we try, right? Let's do it. Hey everybody, this is uh, Ben. We are back for another episode of the Faith Revisited podcast, and I am very excited today. Um, we have uh, um, uh, actually two people that we're interviewing, a part of a wonderful new study. Uh, uh, Jeff, I was telling you before we kind of got on, it really is just a, a big collaborative project. Um, we've got a, a book that's coming out with a study. It's got a number of very famous people who have uh, put their uh, attention and thoughts into it, um, but really a lot of this is, is around the book, Share the Dream, Sharing a Light in a Divided World Through Six Principles of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and uh, we have uh, Jeff Wright, who is uh, head of UMI Urban Ministries, Inc. We'll let Jeff tell us a little bit about that here momentarily, uh, and then we have one of the authors of the book, Matthew Daniels, who is here as well. So Jeff, Matthew, thank you for being with us today on the Faith Revisited Podcast. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks so much for having us. We're glad to be here. Yeah. So um, uh, I, I guess let's, uh, since we have two of you, Matthew, let's start with you. Why is this an important project for you in this book and why now and what brought you to this? Well, I have an unusual background professionally. So I teach counterterrorism at a graduate school of international affairs in Washington, D.C. So I spent a lot of time uh, trying to um, stop the spread of violent extremist movements overseas by spreading ideas that have been proven to be an antidote to ideologies of racism and violence. So it's, if you think about it, it's sort of the war of ideas, right? Mm. Um and we're pretty good at it. Uh, but I realized a few years ago that if the lights were to go out in America in my lifetime, probably wouldn't be because some of these movements that we're trying to stop overseas, it would be because we collapsed from within. Mm. And a real wake up for me was the recent uh, racist massacre in Buffalo. Uh, mm. And that's because it was a carbon copy of a formula that we've been working to disrupt overseas. You have a young man, a troubled young man, who's recruited online, he's weaponized online by a white supremacist group. And then he's unleashed to commit an act of domestic terrorism, guns down a bunch of black people in a supermarket in Buffalo, live streams it on his GoPro and his friends circulate the video around the world to spread the toxic ideology of racism and violence. Now, when that happens, there are calls to censor the internet, which I understand, but in a free society, you really can't censor the internet enough to stop that kind of thing. So you actually have one alternative, and that's what we do. You have to vaccinate or inoculate minds with mm. ideas that crowd out 
ideologies of racism and violence before they take root. And then you can actually stop the illness. It's like vaccinating against polio. It's better to vaccinate you before you get polio than to treat your symptoms. And I realized we needed a way to do that domestically because things were going to get worse. And I decided that the best place to go was Dr. King and was able to get some really great uh, folks like Jeff and Andrew Young and the chaplain of the U.S. Senate to join with us in this effort. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's great. Jeff, tell us about UMI. And, and this is, when I said collaborative, I mean, y'all, this is a multi-organizational ideas kind of coming together um, in support of this book and, and events around it. So tell us, tell us what brings you into this project. Sure. Well, UMI is a 50 plus year old publisher providing curriculum, books and Bible study and media resources, primarily to African-American churches. Our founder, Dr. Melvin Banks, was from Alabama and uh, ended up moving to Chicago to go to Moody Bible Institute and later Wheaton College with the original idea of returning to Alabama to start a, a Bible school. But he ended up working in the curriculum business in the 60s for what was then the largest uh, curriculum provider in the country and got the idea that more contextual resources would be needed for black churches. And that was back in the midst of the civil rights movement and the black power movement. And he was particularly concerned about teens getting a message of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that they could relate to and connect with. And this company was born. I joined it about almost 30 years ago now, which I can't believe, but yeah, in uh, the late, in the mid nineties. And uh, for us, Share the Dream perhaps is the most important single curriculum product we've ever developed. We're doing it in collaboration with HarperCollins, mm -hmm. Christian Publishing, which is the largest Christian publisher. And then we reach perhaps more African-American churches than any other Christian publisher. So the two companies together have come behind this vision that Matt has cast that we can do something about the violence, the extremism, this dance of darkness, these evil polarizing forces that are tearing our country apart. And what better way to do that than with America's prophet of nonviolence, Martin Luther King. Uh, so this curriculum, which we hope will be used widely, both uh, in churches and in other places will help us stem this incredible tide of negativity, violence, and evil that's growing through the uh, country. And Matt has done a phenomenal job, along with Chris Broussard, who is a co-host on the video components to this, in developing resources that churches, small groups, Sunday schools, Bible studies, and community groups can use to get these principles ingrained in their people's lives and hopefully in our broader community. That's wonderful. And, and just so folks know, we are going to have a ton of links and, and ability to access a lot of this, um, um, the book itself and, and um, promotional things uh, in the show notes. One event that I, I, I want to make sure that we know about is this is the 60th year, the 60th anniversary of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. And, and there's a, um, an event on August 27th that churches are invited as part of this um, project to to celebrate that 60th anniversary. You know, it's it's interesting, but 60 years since I have a dream, and 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 it just 
I was born in 1982, so this was in something already written in history books for me. And it's it's as though we've come so far, and yet we still have so far to go. How, where do you two sort of discern our place in American history, both in terms of the progress we've made and then also what we are yet to, to make as a society? Can I, can I take that one, Jeff? Sure, go right ahead. Yeah, so I'll tell you where I think we are for what it's worth. Uh, I tell my students there are precious few laws in politics, but the ones that exist are powerful because they emanate from human nature, so they repeat. Um, I'll give you the short version. Um, there's a dynamic in politics that I call the polarization of extremes, probably best seen in Germany in the 20s. Uh, Germany, the nation of Martin Luther, a uh, highly cultured society, uh, increasingly held in the grip of two extreme movements, communism and fascism, which purportedly are polar opposites. One of those two movements eventually crushed the other, and the nation of Martin Luther became the nation of Adolf Hitler. Um, I think America is where Germany was in the 20s. We are at the beginning of a dynamic of the polarization of extremes, and people do not realize how much more violent and dark it can become. Now, when we look at the history of Germany, we see that the German Lutheran Church and the Catholic Church really didn't do a good enough job of being a witness against the darkness at an early enough stage. And we want to repeat that mistake. The good news is we have a huge body of believers in this country. We have a lot of things going in our favor, including uh, the teachings of figures like Dr. King. And now it's time for God's people who've been put here for a purpose, uh, not just, you know, to practice piety and worship and so on, although those are good things, We've been put here to lead the society away from darkness and because we know there's a better way, right? We know there's a higher path uh, rooted in God's love for all his children. And if we model that, if we show that, we can disrupt the polarization of darkness and we don't have to become Germany in the 30s or the American version thereof. Mm. And of course, what's so critically important about Matt's point on this um, is the fact that we have the formula. Dr. King laid it out, not just in the I Have a Dream speech, which we're going to, you know, of course, remember and, and commemorate with Share the Dream Sunday at the last Sunday of the month of August, but his teachings, his writings, the principles that he espoused, even up to his dying words, were the formula for addressing this issue. And I like to think of Matt Daniels and his work with Chris Broussard, and we've also partnered with the King Movement, K-I-N-G, with periods after it started by Chris Broussard, <clears throat> to try to show exactly what this looks like. Uh, of course, as dark as Germany was during that time period, there were always lights. Bonhoeffer, who clearly saw this coming in Germany, and even came to the U.S., where he could have stayed, and he spent a lot of time in the U.S. in a black church in Harlem, mm -hmm. looking at just the power of the gospel in a completely different culture. Uh, and it's not a lot said about Dietrich Bonhoeffer's time uh, in Harlem going to Abyssinia Baptist Church, but he was deeply, deeply affected by that. And of course, he went back to Germany to his own personal demise. He could have stayed in the U.S., but he didn't. What Matt is doing and what we know and hope many organizations will do is stand up for the truth of these principles laid out in the book and in the curriculum 
coming straight from the teachings of Dr. King, which of course comes straight from the Bible. And it's probably also worth reminding people that Dr. King was a pastor. Some people tend to forget yep. that. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 um <clears throat> I mean for a number of reasons, you know, we we forget it, not not the very least of which is his enormous oratory skills um learned in in church sanctuaries but but also i mean when you say how to take what you learn inside and cast it outward into the world to say how can the gospel be real you know um in everyday life which sometimes as you said means naming honestly the problems in our society and saying this is not of god's will and and we we can and should do better well where I'm curious about this from a generational standpoint. Where do you see different generations sort of migrating in, uh, along the spectrum of where we're sort of navigating as a society? I mean, I, I, I'm sure that there's differences and similarities. Where do you see that? Well, partly because of my teaching work, one of the things that encourages me is the passion of the next generation for issues of justice. Yeah. The challenge is you have to direct that passion in an appropriate path, right? Um, decades of social science research, uh, half a century actually, have proven that Dr. King was right. In a democratic society, you will only get social justice from nonviolence. Violence always only leads to misery and suffering. And when you fall for the lie that violence will produce justice, you go down a very dark path. And many movements... Uh, at both political extremes have fallen for that lie. They're out, you know, re remember, you know, the communists, the fascists, they weren't trying to destroy the world. They were trying to save it. <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, the more I do this, the more I see that evil is the same everywhere, just like hum human nature is the same everywhere. So there's a kind of a dismal formula that operates. I, I call it the three Ds. Denigrate, dehumanize, destroy. That's the, the spectrum. You start by denigrating, you eventually dehumanize, and you eventually destroy other people. Uh, the solution for that, and you can do that in the name of any kind of ideology on the right, on the left, it doesn't matter. Um, it's done by ISIS, it's done by, by Al-Qaeda, it's done by fascists, it's done by communists. The, the cure in Dr. King is dignity, the dignity of the human person made in the image of God. You know, Dr. King's message as well as his method were both rooted in his belief that people are made in the image of God. And even if they were trying to kill him, he was not going to use violence because that would be an affront and an attack on the dignity of the human person. And that's how you disrupt this mechanism of darkness to try to get us to uh, turn on each other. Mm. You know, in a simple way of living that out, straight from the very first principles in the uh, book and in the curriculum, is understanding that as the Christians, old or young, we should be leading with love. Because whoever doesn't know, whoever does not love does not know God. Yeah. It is impossible to say that you know and love God and then to operate from the place of violence, hatred, or to use those three Ds that Matt just pointed out, denigrating, destroying, and all of the things that tear people down <clears throat> as opposed to responding with love. And of course, that is also rooted in nonviolence. Yeah. And it, 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 what you just said, both of you reminds me, um, um, I mean, this is who we are as 
church history, right? Throughout 2,000 years, uh, one of the earliest church fathers, Tertullian, uh, I'm reminded in his early journals, which is some of the earliest history of Christianity, wrote about how people were marked when it was still a minority movement. It wasn't the, the religion of the state yet in Rome that their comment was, look how these people love. That was the guiding example that people bore witness to. These are some weird people. Look how they love, you know? Um, and it was a powerful counter witness to, to the witness of uh, largely for working class folks and whatnot in Rome of, of, of a very forceful, um, you know, military state. As, as Matthew pointed out, history does tend to repeat itself, doesn't it? It That's totally amazing. does. To go back to your generational point, though, there yeah. is a younger generation, uh, and this is across all color lives, that is getting very, very dissatisfied and even disappointed and running from a Christianity that doesn't express love. Maybe the growth of all these N-O-N-E's, these nuns that we're always complaining about, is because they're seeing the church... <laughs> is operating from something other than an ethic of love. Uh, it's really, really hard to expect younger generations to accept the hypocrisy of an unloving church. And we're seeing that right now significantly. Yeah, my daughter is um, 11. And as I say, with which girls tend to do, she's like 11 going on 25. I mean, she's just very mature. Um and she's beginning to ask those big questions. You know, she's been raised in the church and, and, and you know, it's it is becoming like, why, why does this matter? Why should this matter? And she she's expectant of a witness of church that says, if I'm going to invest in this, it needs to have a, a more transcendent impact on my life other than just going to church. You know, and so you're right. I, I do think that there is a, a lot of caring at her age too. Um, you know, the United Methodist Church. We're dealing with with this um, division around what do we do with with gay and lesbian people, um, and for people my daughter's age, they're just going, "Why?" I mean, it's just they're people. Um, it's almost a disconnect with why are we arguing about what to do with quote these people? It, they're just people. So yeah, I sense that 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 sort of passion for an inclusive church that that wants to love in big ways yeah that's really good um i'm trying to look at i don't want to give away everything uh in the in the um in the study itself uh with with the principles i want to encourage folks to read and we're going to have the promotional uh video um that we're going to put that's uh, actually on youtube out about that but i would love to hear um what do you want churches to get, you know, out of this book? If you had a Sunday school class or a small group or even a church-wide study, what are some of the initial first steps that you would love to see a church sort of take from this? Well, you know, the the, the trigger for me in, in, the, in the journey towards this curriculum was realizing that even though I reasonably well-educated uh, I did not know the real spiritual backstory of the civil rights movement. Um, and I don't think there's some conspiracy to hide it. I think that the secular historians just didn't have the eyes to see it. But when I met Andrew Young, I realized the only reason that a handful of disenfranchised and relatively unimportant people in the South were able to overcome the monolithic violence, threats, legal, social, political 
political opposition of the Southern establishment was the power of God. Um, they overcame the way the early church overcame the monolithic oppression of Rome through the power of God. And that story is something we should be proud of as believers. Uh, that's our history. That's the gospel in action. That's arguably the greatest moment for the gospel in modern American history. The fact, you know, the American South should have been Rwanda, but thanks to the courage of a handful of men and women, history was changed, and it was changed with principles drawn from the gospel, um, and they were a blessing to this whole nation and an example to the world. Well, we need to harness those principles again today, um, rather than hiding from the culture and building, you know, a sort of subculture. We need to go out into the culture and um, be the voice and the ambassadors for those world-changing principles in our day. That's why we're here. And if we don't do that job, everybody suffers. Mm. This is a super important point, one that often gets overlooked. You know, the in 1865, at the end of the Civil War, a time that just ended a period of tremendous suffering, the bloodiest war in our nation's history, hundreds of thousands of people dead. Our nation had to heal, and that healing was possible because of an act of the Holy Spirit. Free American slaves began a period that we now describe in history as a period of Reconstruction, but what was the most significant thing that happened in that period between 1865 to 1905 in the next 40 years was the establishment of between 30 and 40,000 churches by African Americans. It's the greatest period of church growth in American history, more than the Great Awakening, the first or the second, more than Whitfield and all of that. These churches started in African American communities all around the country began the process of rebuilding lives, but it also gave an example, a clear example of the very principles modeled and pre preached by Dr. King and that we talk about in this curriculum. Imagine the perseverance after you've found and relocated your family, if you had any left, to start into a rebirth of your life and your community around the same gospel, the same faith that theoretically the rest of the country had including those slaveholders. It's quite a miraculous move. And it's the perseverance of that generation of emancipated people coming out of slavery, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ, operating with love, operating with patience and perseverance, and certainly with nonviolence in the face of all kinds of horrific violence that emerged after the Reconstruction era, with the era of Jim Crow and Plessy versus Ferguson, and essentially legalized segregation in America. Love triumphs, it always does, and that's what we saw then, and that's what we're believing can come about now. We just need to revisit these core biblical principles taught by Dr. King. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the, this will be my final question, one of the most powerful and, and understated, I think, witnesses of the civil rights movement, and I worry that we don't we don't know how to do this as well anymore, and y'all are kind of bearing witness to this, is, is the ability to build bridges across divides. You know, a lot of people don't realize that the Southern um, Christian Leadership Coalition, that, that was sort of the, the bedrock of the civil rights movement, um, 
they had friendships among white clergy. Now, not all of them, obviously, but they knew the ones that were open to the movement. And they were strategic enough in saying these relationships can also push the movement forward. And so you had witnesses of like Will D. Campbell and you had others in communities that they were white pastors who they knew ahead of time, we can go here and they'll kind of help help grease the wheels and get us in. And you know, one of the, our dear people in South Georgia, Sammy Clark, um, was friends with Andrew Young. He, he, kept, he told me a story once about being here in Savannah and had this whole protest. And it was all planned ahead of time, even down to who was going to go to jail when they started rounding people up. And he kept referencing, you know, and my friend Andy this and my friend Andy that. And I finally put two and two together. And I said, is your friend Andy Andrew Young? And he said, yeah, yeah. We, You know, we just, I said, my God, this is like an ambassador to the United Nations and he's just your friend Andy. All of that's to say it's that power of the bridge building. How do y'all see the opportunity ahead or maybe the shortcomings we have now of how do we build bridges across divides, especially racial divides? How can white and non-white and everybody in between kind of move this forward, you know, as Matthew, as you were saying, you know, away from this extreme, the polarization of the extremes? Well, you know, the calls for unity in the body of Christ could not be more clear. Mm. And so it's a real test of our faith. Uh, are we willing to, um, to step out and build those bridges? Um, if we do, there is a great blessing to be had uh, for the gospel, for the nation, for the church, for future generations. And so we're beginning to see that as we take this series uh, uh, public. Uh, for example, in Atlanta, we have an interracial group of clergy coming together next week at Ebenezer Baptist Church, Dr. King's Home Church, to talk about doing precisely that, holding joint worship services, uh, bringing their congregations together around this message to model the unity that is the antidote to the forces of division in our culture. Um, because as you know, division is big business, right? I mean, whether it's social media or cable news, uh, it's a business formula. And there are political campaigns and political parties being built on uh, the, uh, the, the business of division. <laughs> and the business of the kingdom is unity, right? Uh, so it doesn't pay as well, at least in this life, but it does pay better in eternity. Yeah. So that's why even this podcast is very important in the work you're doing, Ben. We need people who will, in fact, share the dream. Share the dream Sunday, the last Sunday in August. We're inviting churches to cross the line to make this a less segregated moment that Sunday morning when we meet in our churches or wherever we're meeting, online and streaming in many instances. And so we're inviting churches to celebrate Share the Dream Sunday. We're inviting churches to get this curriculum, to get the book, to study it, study it with their friends, their neighbors, and to be exactly what you're being right there in Savannah and what many people are trying to do across the country. Come together around these principles, work together like Matt has demonstrated so well with Chris Broussard and others to make sure that we live into this gospel that we so often talk about, teach and preach, but we have to do it based on these very principles from scripture that Dr. King practiced. That's wonderful. Thank you guys so much. This is such a just wonderful podcast and um, just the opportunity to chat with you about such important issues. 
Uh, for folks who are wondering, we're going to have all the show notes, promotional videos, uh, mark August 27th on your church calendar. Share the dream Sunday. Do something in your church to recognize this. Launch your small groups as we're doing fall uh, small group um, uh, kickoff for everybody. Make sure you have a group or two um, doing this book, Share the Dream, Shining a Light in a Divided World uh, Through the Six Principles of Martin Luther King Jr. Matthew Daniels, uh, uh, author with Chris Broussard and Jeff Wright, head of UMI, this wonderful collaborative project. Thank you all so much for being here today on the Faith Revisited podcast. Thank you, Ben. You're welcome, man. Thanks for having us. Again, uh, notes and links will be in the show notes. We uh, encourage you uh, to share. Uh, leave us a five-star review if you feel so led, and uh, be sure to access this resource and share that with your friends. Until next time, we'll see you on the Faith Revisited podcast.